Amen. Well, good morning to everyone. It's good to be here. Um, I'd like to welcome you, special welcome to our visitors. I see a number of you here. We're glad that you're with us. We're currently in a four-sermon series on the Advent. Uh, This is number three of four. And today we'll be speaking about joy, and we're talking about the pink candle. I'd like to solicit a little help from the kids uh, right off here. Children, are you listening? Hey, I need your attention up here. Kids, how many of you like Christmas? If you like Christmas, raise your hands. Good, most of you. Somebody tell me what's your favorite part about Christmas. Gifts. I was suspicious it might be gifts. Well, today we're going to talk about a gift that God gave us um, and a little bit about the joy that it brings. Now, some time ago, it was back in the Nehemiah series, I did a sermon on joy, and we established then that joy is the result of something else taking place. So it's, it's like the side effect of something. It happens because it can't be forced on its own. And today, I'm going to spend very little time talking about joy, but a lot of time talking about the something else that took place or the cause of joy. Um, and we'll get to it soon. And the angels can say it much better than I can. And what I intend to do today is attempt to make the Christmas story a little more real to us. Now, I don't know about you, but I tend to see it almost in a mythological, magical, it was this night in history and it was in some sense but I think there's another sense that it was a lot different uh, from what we from what we tend to think so I hope here um, to make it a little bit more relatable and a little bit more real a little bit more real to us Uh, the text we have is Luke chapter 2 Verses 1 through 20. And if you would please turn there uh, and read through that with me. Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 20. In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them at the inn." Now in the same region there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. 
And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And behold, the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherd told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told. Now the story, this is the story of Jesus being born. And this happened on a real day. It happened on, at a, during a real time, on a real day in our history. And it's not some fairy tale, imaginary time, but a real time, a real day, like today is a real day. Right? Now, I'm, we're going to go through here. I'm going to read through the chapter again a couple verses at a time. And uh, we'll dig into this a bit. Let's look at verses... 1 through 3. In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was the governor of Syria, and all went to be registered each to his own town. So this story takes place on a real day in history when Caesar Augustus is emperor of Rome, and this Quirinius is governor of Syria. Now let me read to you an article, something I found on Caesar Augustus, because this was some guy. Here's what I found. His real name was Gaius Octavius. He was the adopted son of Julius Caesar. And so when Julius Caesar died, Octavius became emperor, and with it, the title of his position. Caesar, that was the title of the position, right? So he should have been known as Octavius Caesar. However, Octavius had quite an ego. He was very proud and arrogant. He wanted to be greater than any other Caesar before him, and so, with the approval of the Roman Senate, he dropped his name Octavius and added the title Augustus. And Augustus means majesty. It's a name of divinity. It carries the idea of being of the gods. Caesar Augustus means Caesar God. So this story takes place in a time in history when there's this guy in control who proclaims himself to be God. Caesar lived in luxury. He taxed his subjects heavily to pay for it. And he didn't care that his taxes placed financial burdens on people. He didn't care about the people. He cared about himself. 
And by issuing this decree uh, in verse 1 that everyone, everyone has to register, essentially he's saying, I need to know how many of you that there are so I can make sure I tax all of you. This was a social scene that Jesus is born into. This is where Joseph and Mary found themselves. This is why they had to take a trip to Bethlehem. And they submitted to this even though it made their lives miserable. And I'd like us to attempt to put ourselves in Joseph and Mary's shoes for a little bit. To the guys, imagine... Imagine if you were Joseph. This king puts out a decree. You have to go register to be taxed. And I'm going to try to bring this to a, a little bit of a modern day to help us relate to it. Imagine you have to close your business. You have to pack your bags you have to get a donkey for your very pregnant wife and walk to Cleveland. And that's about the distance. It was 80, roughly 80 miles from, from Nazareth to Bethlehem. That's the distance they would have had to go. Um, it takes us an hour and a half, two hours in a car, but it, would have, it was a journey of a couple days and certainly not ideal for a nine-month pregnant lady to make that journey. Now imagine when you get there, you check every hotel. Everyone and not a single room is available. Now thankfully, there's some Amish fella in Joggy that has offered, you know what, you're welcome to stay at my barn if you'd like. And you take him up on, on his offer, and while you're there, your wife says, Honey, I've started with contractions and they're five minutes apart. How do you think Joseph felt? Do you think he was anywhere close to a panic attack? What kind of, what kind of husband do you think he felt like? And think of Mary to the ladies. Do you think this is how she planned on giving birth? to this precious little baby. I'm going to read verses 4 to 7. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room in the inn. Do you think when Mary, when this started happening, Mary thought, oh no, not here, not now. Is there any woman you know that would like to give birth in a barn? Now, I imagine Mary prayed, God, can't this wait for a few more days until we find a cleaner place to stay? 
I imagine she prayed, God, you gave me this child. Can't you postpone the delivery just a few more days? But God didn't wait, and he had his reasons uh, for having his son born in a dirty stable, and that's where it happened. It also appears here in verse 7. Let me just read it again. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. It appears here that she didn't have any help with the delivery. No doctors, no nurses, no midwives. Um, In fact, it looks like maybe Joseph wasn't even there. It doesn't mention it. Maybe he was out looking for a midwife. Maybe he was looking for a better place to stay. At any rate, there's a lot of loneliness in verse 7. And by the way, at Jesus' birth, Mary was no more than 17 years old. From what I found, she was between the ages of 14 and 17. Still only a child. And this was almost certainly not the way that she wanted to have her first child and not the way she thought this miraculous baby would be born. But that's how it happened. Another interesting note on verse 7. It says, She wrapped him in swaddling clothes. Now, swaddling clothes are strips of linen. Um that they would have wrapped, wrapped a baby in. And 33 years later, they would wrap Jesus' body in strips of linen again. Um, there was, it was twice that they wrapped his body in linens, and both times the angels showed up. It was twice when, I think the night was the darkest, when those who loved Jesus the most, his parents at his birth and his disciples at his death and just when they began to wonder if God had forgotten them the angels show up and they change everything let's read about the angels verses 8 and 9 and in the same region there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flocks by night and an angel of the Lord appeared to them And the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. Now, it's almost here like God just had to tell someone this good news. And notice he didn't didn't appear to a king. He didn't appear to the mayor of Bethlehem or the religious leaders of Bethlehem. Um, he, he came to the lowly shepherds, the outcasts. And this seems to be a pattern in the life of Jesus. It seems he often gave special attention to poor people, to the nobodies in society. Verses 10 to 14. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I will bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, 
glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Now, I'd like to come back to verses 10 and 11. That's what we'll end on. That's the good news. We're going to save that for the last. Um, but what happens here is that the angel, one angel shows up. Uh, many people believe it's the angel Michael. We don't know that for sure. Gives the shepherd's directions, tells him, gives him clues on where to find the baby. Um, and they go and find him. Another interesting note here, that this Caesar Augustus, the guy, the, the king or the tyrant who wanted to be hailed as God, set into motion events in which the true God would come to earth and he would be praised by the angels. The angels proclaim glory to God and peace to those in God's will. And I suspect next Sunday we'll hear much more on the peace that Jesus brings. Right, Marcus? Let's read that verses 15 to 20. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying God, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. I love verse 19 there. It says, Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. Imagine if you were Mary. I think, she, I think at that point she was connecting the dots. She knew, the, she knew what was prophesied many years ago. She knew the, the angel that had seen her and now this. Um, that must have been something. And it says she, she treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. You know, Mary could have gone around bragging that she was carrying the Messiah. But she didn't. She, she, could, have, she could have came to Bethlehem and demanded to be given the best room at the inn. But she didn't. Mary and Joseph, they humbly accepted the troubles and trials that, that they were given, and as a result, God lifted them up. You know, they didn't blow their own horn, and God sent the angels to blow it for them. And he sent the shepherds to spread the word. Verse 20, And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. They couldn't keep quiet about it. I think they told everyone. And the shepherds were the very first Christian evangelists. 
They were the first witnesses to spread the good news of Messiah. And it really sounds like they just told everyone they came across. Now I'd like to look briefly at verses 10 and 11 yet. The good news and the cause for joy. Let me read verse 10 again. Let's, let's throw verse 9 in there with this. And then angel of the Lord appeared to them, to the shepherds, and the gl- glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. This angel shows up, and he says, I have good news that will bring you great joy. Now, I don't know about you, but I like good news. In fact, I like it much better than bad news. And there are two things that have to happen in order to receive, to receive good news. One is someone has to tell you. You have to be told. Number two, you have to be receptive or you have to listen. Now, to my married friends, um, I'd like to give us a little illustration uh, and see if any of you, if you've been married for some time, can identify to this conversation. It's a conversation with your spouse, by the way. Here it goes. I didn't know we had plans this weekend. Yes, you did. I told you about those plans. No, you didn't. Yes, I did. You just weren't listening. Now, I'll leave it up to your imagine as to who plays which role. Um, But I can assure you the shepherds were listening. The angels had their full attention. In fact, verse 9 says that when the shepherds saw the angels, they were filled with great fear. Now, they, weren't, they didn't have a feeling of peace and well-being and butterflies and goosebumps that we might associate when we, when we think of seeing angels. They were terrified. But then the angels spoke. And here's the good news of great joy um, to all of us. It says to all people, to all people in God's will. Here's what the angel said. Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Now, the good news here is three words that the angel said, Savior, Christ, and Lord. And that's the gift. 
Let's look at these a little bit. Let's look at the word Savior. And really, this is what the name Jesus means. It's God saves. But what is God saving us from? Ourselves. Really, ourselves, that ugly, ugly three-letter word, sin. Now notice, notice the big I right there in the middle of sin. Sin is the overwhelming tendency to live our lives apart from God. At its core, it's saying, God, I'm not so sure you know what's best for me. I would rather just do things my way. And it's a condition that every single one of us has, and it's one we all need saved from. There's the Savior, and now Christ the Lord, Christ the Messiah. As God is keeping his promise, hundreds of years earlier, the prophet Isaiah prophesied in Isaiah 7.14. Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Now who, somebody knows what the name Emmanuel means. Go for it. God is with us. That's right. God came to earth. That was the gift. Jesus was God in the form of man who walked earth and gave us an example. Not only that, we're not even touching on the crucifixion, which is a major part of this story. Um, But he was the character of God revealed to man. That was the gift God gave us some 2,000 years ago. It's the best gift. Kids, are you listening again? It's the best gift you can ever receive. Um, And it's the cause for great joy, it says, to all people with whom God is pleased. Now, I'd like to close yet with a little... I guess a little story, something I experienced. And I don't like ending on a somewhat negative note because it's almost a little negative, but I felt it kind of, kind of uh, make, makes the point really well. Sometime last week, one morning, I went to our local gas station there in Apple Creek in the morning. I went in and was paying... And in there at the counter stood one of the Apple Creek cops, and he was just chatting with, with um, one of the cashiers. And as I was there paying, I heard they're talking about Christmas, and I overheard, the, I overheard the cops say that, yeah, Christmas is really nothing, you know, we do it for the kids. They believe in Santa Claus, and, and once you're old enough, you know, Santa Claus isn't real. It's like, it's really nothing. And it struck me that when you take Jesus out of Christmas, 
there is no cause for joy. There's nothing to celebrate. In fact, not only Christmas, when you take Jesus out of the picture, there it goes. Thank you for your attention, Brent. I'll turn it over to you.